0: Welcome to Embrace Your Brain's exciting new series called Embracing the Mature Mind. Join Dr. D. Coulter as she explores the natural brilliance awaiting us all in the upper decades. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, an imaginary interview with our brain's layers. Walt Whitman was challenged once for making contradictory statements. His response was, I contradict myself? Very well, then, I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And so do we. One aspect of those multitudes is our brain layers. They have distinct outlooks on many issues. Let's imagine we could interview them and discover why we get so confused about how to think about social problems or how to decide the right action to take. So here's the roundtable that we will be interviewing. First is number one, our core brain layer. We'll call that CARL. It's our brain's most basic structure with an operating system that's been used and tested for millions of years. It bristles when challenged and can get ferocious at times. It doesn't really have friends, just loyal followers who respect its dominance. In its own harsh way, it works to preserve its own kind from any elements that threaten to weaken that way of life. The second is number two, our limbic layer. We'll call that LINDA. It was our brain's first upgrade. It's great at caring for offspring until they're ready to launch out on their own, and it easily expresses emotions. It's typically warm hearted and loves to hang out in close circles of friends and family. The next member of the round table is number three, our neocortex. We'll call that Neil. The brain's second upgrade brings an ability to plan and strategize. It loves to think to compete and win, and takes excellent care of itself. It's always striving to get ahead and gets annoyed when anything gets in the way, and it isn't distracted by the needs of others much at all. The final member of our roundtable is number four, our frontal lobes. We'll call that Francis. Our most recent upgrade, it came along to bring concern for others back into the picture, since the third layer wasn't too sensitive about that. It feels the joy and pain of others easily and cares more for other humans and for animals, plants, and the earth than it does for itself. I'd like to thank all four of you for joining us today. I have four questions I'd like to ask each of you. The first one, what do you need in order to feel safe? What do you do to feel protected? Carl? Well, if I can be the dominant one, the leader, that's best. Next best is being a loyal follower to a really powerful leader. And Linda? I'd really be lost without my family and friends if I'm threatened. They have my back, and they'd be sure I get taken care of. How about you, Neil? Well, I count on law and order. I have a lot of property, and I want to be sure it doesn't get stolen. If I didn't have the law on my side, people who wouldn't have as much might take it. And how about you, Francis? I rarely feel afraid for my own safety, but I often worry about the safety of others. Even animals, the forest, the climate, it's all in pain, and I can feel it. I guess I'd have to say my personal survival instinct is pretty weak compared to that. Here's the second question. What do you think about caring for the handicapped? Some folks say we are our brother's keeper. What do you say about that? Carl? That idea makes no sense to me. If we pour all our energy into the weak ones, pretty soon we'll be swamped with needy folks. Then our whole society will just get weak and collapse. How about you, Linda? Well, when a child with special needs is born into my extended family, we do everything we can to support that child and family. We're all God's children, and we need to include them. If I try to think about all the handicapped folks in the country, it just overwhelms me. But at least I can serve those who are close to me. And Neil? Maybe if I had a handicapped child myself, I'd look at this question differently. But I think we should put more time and resources into supporting gifted children. That would bring more benefits to our society. How about you, Francis? Well, I know this sounds strange, but I think the neediest members of our society are our greatest gift. They help us develop our empathy, and that invites us to awaken our full humanity. Okay, folks, here's the third question. There's a lot of talk about how many rules we should have. What kind of rules do you support, and are there some you'd get rid of? How about you, Carl? I'm for any rules that keep different kinds of people apart from my territory. I support border walls, incarcerating those who don't obey all the rules, and cutting back on immigration. We just don't have room for all of them, and besides, they have their own countries. However, I would get rid of rules that take away my right to do things my way. And you, Linda? I wish all the rules would protect all the different groups in society. Some keep getting left out when it comes to rewards, and we don't have enough rules to protect them when they fall on hard times. And you, Neil? Well, I don't like all the red tape that keeps me from making as much money as I can and using any resources I can find. After all, think of all the people I'd end up hiring if I were free to develop all those resources. And finally you, Frances? I'd put half of my energy into creating laws that protected the environment from the irreparable damage that's heading our way from climate change and the loss of biodiversity. And I'd support any signs of compassion that showed up anywhere with the rest of my energy. Here's the last question How much time do you spend thinking about the future or the past? Carl? I know the past was better when we all just lived around our own kind, and the future doesn't look good with all the invasions of different kinds of folks. So I think about this threat a lot, and I'm ready to fight for the future, too, if it comes to that. And you, Linda? When I think of the past, I think of my ancestors. They matter a lot to me. I pray to them, and sometimes they guide my decisions, even. When I think about the future, I worry about providing for my family and relatives, and I'll try to carry on our family customs as long as I can. And you, Neil? I like to look back to see how far I've come. It makes me feel good. And I look at the advances in business and technology, and I think about how I can invest in it. When I look to my personal future, I always hold a picture of how successful I'll be. A lot of my energy goes to achieving that goal. And you, Francis? I like to learn about the past and the ways folks used to take care of themselves and the environment. We could learn a lot from that. I kind of agree with number one about the future. It really looks bleak to me, too, but for different reasons. We don't seem to care enough about the planet and all the unmet needs everywhere. So what I think I'm hearing is that you, Carl, and you, Francis, are the two most concerned about our collective future. But your definitions of a good future don't match. How have you come up with your pictures of where we should be headed? Carl? Well, I have this deep gut feeling, an instinct almost, that it's a bad idea to be mixing up different races and cultures like we are now. And I feel a surge of resentment about watching their numbers keep growing. If I get to take over, I'll probably be pretty fierce in fighting to go back to the way we were. How about you, Francis? Well, I have a deep feeling, too, but it comes out of a powerful connection between my mind and my body. Whenever I see suffering, I feel that pain, and then I try to relieve it in any way I can think of. It's as if my mind listens to my heart, and it's triggered by my empathy. I'd happily sacrifice my own happiness, or even my life, to bring about compassion for all other beings. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I think you'll love my book, Original Mind Uncovering Your Natural Brilliance. It's available on Amazon and at EmbraceYourBrain.com.